2: Hello, marketers, and welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Okay, today we're going to hear from an expert in a marketing channel most people don't associate with technology. Mike Gunderson is the president of the creatively named direct mail service Gunderson Direct. Mike and his company have provided direct mail services to startups, SMBs, and enterprise-level companies like SoFi, Postmates, and Square. In the first part of our interview, which you'll hear today, Mike is going to walk us through what his company does, who he is, what career experiences led him to start a direct mail agency, and an overview of the industry of direct mail as a whole. Okay, welcome, Mike Gunderson, to the MarTech podcast.
1: Thanks so much, Ben.
2: So, Mike, it's great to have you here. Uh, Let me start off by asking you, what does your company do?
1: Our company focuses on direct mail marketing, so really trying to get companies into the direct mail channel and trying to ensure that they have the most exposure possible to their marketing dollars. Direct mail has done a pretty good job of making a comeback over the last couple of years, and we have been very, very busy working with both startups and Fortune 500 companies in driving direct mail creative and marketing through their organization.
2: Great. Tell me about your role at the company.
1: Well I'm the president of Gunderson Direct. I started this company about fifteen years ago. Right now, what I do specifically is really drive the vision, the growth and the strategy of Gunderson Direct.
2: So it's not a coincidence that your last name is Gunderson and the company is Gunderson Direct that
1: No. You know, back when I started this company 15 years ago, I was not that creative with the name. And I come from a long line of folks that own their own businesses, including my grandfather, who named everything Gunderson. So I may have gotten it from him, but essentially uh, named the company after myself, because that's just what we did.
2: For what it's worth, I named my company Ben J. Schapp, LLC. And the reason for that was because Benjamin Shapiro was already taken by a political commentator. So... Once you name it, it's there and it's stuck and you kind of have to live with it now, don't you?
1: I agree. I will say that if any young entrepreneurs are out there, not naming the name of your company after yourself might not be a bad idea. It's a lot more marketable once you grow it, scale it and sell it. So walk us
2: through your career. What led you into starting a direct mail company?
1: Sure. I started back at uh, Providian Financial, which was one of the largest credit card issuers in the United States back in 2000. I had a small little corporate job at Chevron Oil down on Market Street, and I wanted to do something a little bit more. And I found a career at Providian. Somebody told me about it, and I went into interview, and they told me that I would be designing mail. And I was kind of blown away by that. I didn't really know what to expect, but I felt that this was kind of a next step in my career. I took it not knowing what to expect. And at the end of the day, I really found it to be an enjoyable medium and really found it interesting that by combining the science and creative of a graphic design piece, you could drive more performance and more interaction with audiences. So
2: was your background on the creative side prior to working at Providian?
1: Yeah, it was strictly creative. I was a graphic designer. I've always wanted to do that and basically found my way at Providian Financial, designing everything from envelopes to letters to disclosures and white papers. So it was really a large variety of different components. And I really started understanding all the nuances between really the copy, the design, the offer, the audiences, and the data that goes behind that to really drive the performance of those campaigns.
2: Okay. So you have a creative background by training. You started working for Providian, which is a financial services company that was creating direct mail. And then what led you from that experience into starting your own company?
1: Yeah, well, just about two years or two and a half years after I started with Providian, there was some issues with the FCC, with Providian Financial, and essentially that whole company kind of imploded and was bought up and gobbled up by Washington Mutual at the time. And it was about that point where I decided to exit the company and start my own thing.
2: I've always heard, and I guess I could speak from my own experience, that the creativity comes out of lack of other options. It seems like the job that you have dried up and then you needed to go find work and ended up going down an entrepreneurial path.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I belong to a really great entrepreneur group called Entrepreneurs Organization. And I always find that there's a lot of folks that are just born to be entrepreneurs. But I do believe I kind of fell into that role and was able to kind of make something out of nothing. Even when I was at Providian Financial, there was a lot of side work. I like to do logos and stuff for friends and I had a few little side projects going. And so I think I parlayed that knowledge of kind of running a little bit of a side business into something a little bit more full time, really out of necessity, because essentially I just wasn't getting too many bites at the time on my resume and finding any companies that I really wanted to work for.
2: So, when you first started, you're designing logos and direct mail pieces for people, having left the financial sector, working a a day job. And now it's, I think you said 15 years later. Tell me how the company has grown and what's the sort of size and scope of the company that you run now?
1: For the first five years, I was really starting to build up a base of clients. And I worked with some of the great ones. I was lucky enough to have quite a few marketing managers leave Providian right about the same time I did, and they needed creative support. So they reached out to me or through our network, and I was able to pick up some work here and there. And then I was able to land some fairly large Fortune 500 clients, including Wells Fargo and Union Bank and a couple other large companies, and really got to work on developing direct mail creative specifically for a lot of those clients. During that first five years, I also worked on everything because I'm struggling. I'm just trying to make ends meet. And so it would see logos and websites. And I learned how to code and did signage. It really any graphic design that would come by, I would pick up. And it wasn't until about seven years into my own business where I realized I think it would be a lot better to just try to focus on something I really love doing. And while everybody during this time was really chasing the cheese with digital marketing, I was really kind of leaning towards doing more print and more direct mail design because I, again, really liked the science and the data and really marrying that with the creative part of graphic design and communication design. So I changed the name from Gunderson Design to Gunderson Direct and really just changed our whole value proposition to really focus on getting response and direct mail response in particular. And that single change has really propelled our company to be just a lot stronger. And it's also propelled our growth in the last five years.
2: So talk to me more about the industry of direct mail. You've been focused on it for, I think you said it was a five to 10 years where it's been a specialty And you mentioned that it is making a comeback. Talk to me about what you've seen in the industry and why is that channel one that's becoming more valuable to marketers?
1: I think that a lot of people got really, really into digital marketing really coming off of 2002, 2003, and then started growing very, very quickly after those years. And at the time, we also were kind of heading into 2008, where we had a big financial crisis and marketing budgets were starting to dry up. So the one thing about direct mail, which is kind of hard sometimes, is that it takes a lot of financial support. Unlike digital and sending an email, there's quite a bit of extra costs, including printing, postage, and of course, agency service costs. So we saw a little bit of a dip. However, my company was so small, we were so agile that the few companies that we did work with actually saw the benefit of working with a smaller agency at the time. And We actually grew during the 2008-2009 time period, picking up more work, but maybe just not as big of mailings, if you will. And at that time, too, it's important to note that we really only focused on creative, so really design, strategy, copy, not production and not mail services. But what we realized in the last, I would say about seven years, is it's really start to pick up momentum again as the digital channels start to get more and more saturated and the cost per account or cost per acquisition become higher and higher in some of those digital channels. Direct mail actually has remained fairly flat and cost per acquisition remained a very good cost point compared to a lot of digital. So that's enabled us to continue to grow our direct mail side of our business, bring more folks on board and it's not just fortune 500 companies it's everybody at startups it's nonprofits. we work with an array of consumer and b2b companies to really reach the type of customers that they're looking for and direct mail has just been a constant and consistent way of driving those responses to our clients
2: So Mike, tell me, what are some of the industries that focus on direct mail? Who are some of the categories of clients that you see, both the traditional ones that have been around for a long time, and then the new wave of people that are testing direct mail?
1: I think that you're always going to see a big financial sector taking advantage of direct mail with pre-screened data for these folks. It's really important for them to go out and be able to target clients or customers that will come back to them, sign up for something, and then being able to approve them. It's super important, not just the lead flow, but the conversion flow of their business. So that sector is always going to be important for direct mail. And it's been fantastic for it in the last 15, 20 years and beyond. But news sectors really coming in now are technology companies and on-demand services. These people want to come in. They want to be able to reach the type of customers that they're trying to reach. And they want to be able to have a specific focus message and give that prospect a little bit of time and enough detail and the materials in order for them to make an informed decision and then to eventually get them to respond and convert one thing with Direct mail in particular is that we really can be really targeted when it comes to the type of product and service that we're trying to sell. And then again, by getting them more informed on that direct mail piece, so it's not a banner ad, it's not a quick message, it's not a billboard. It's enough information for them to make an informed decision, drive them to respond, and then have that higher conversion at the end of the day. And even from a B2B play, just really driving leads and getting that conversation started with some of these larger SaaS companies or software as a service company or larger business services It's important to make sure that these folks that are are coming and you're handing them off to sales folks, that they are fairly well-informed. They're already up to speed and you're not re-educating them on what the value proposition of your business is.
2: So you mentioned a couple interesting points. I want to dive in a little bit deeper. Specifically, you said that there's a difference between using direct mail for lead acquisition and then also for conversion. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X.co. Tell me some of the use cases where people are trying to drive behaviors that are in different places of the funnel. How do people use direct mail?
1: So the two clear ones are really a direct sell versus a lead generation mailer. With lead generation, what we're trying to do is start that conversation. Many times that could be a longer lead funnel or a longer time to close. So what we need to do is get folks to kind of raise their hands, get them to salespeople and allow those salespeople to start nurturing those leads long term for an eventual close down the line. And a lot of times this happens in B2B where it's just a very, very long conversion funnel where there's multiple steps in the process, including contract negotiations and so forth. Where there's another, you know, like consumer products where we can send direct mail, put a really great offer on there and drive that interaction and that intent to buy. So trying to get them to a website, get them to the offer Get them excited about it, then get them closed, get it shipped, and it's on its way. So direct sales versus lead generation oftentimes can look really, really different as a package, but they have two completely different focuses on what we want that end consumer to do.
2: So I understand that direct mail can be used for lead generation, reaching out to someone who the company doesn't already have a relationship with, and it can be used as a conversion generator, somebody that you do have a relationship and you want them to re-engage or basically to get them across the finish line. How do people use direct mail for their existing customers? Are they doing any cross-selling or how does that work?
1: That's a great question. And yes is the answer. What we find is if there's a dormant customer or they haven't done any transactions in a while, or if we're trying to cross-sell or upsell a particular product within a suite of products, direct mail can be really, really powerful. We know that just based off an affinity relationship that we can get two or three times the response rate, just off the fact that these folks know who it's coming from. And I think that another really great use case that's happening right now is, and I'll I'll go ahead and say a company called Pebble Post is doing some really great things around, which is retargeting direct mail. So if you're a mom and you're going to order some baby clothes, and you're getting busy because your kids are pulling at your leg, you abandon cart, you move on. Within 24 hours, that interaction can be recorded. It can be sent to Pebble Post. They can then turn it around and push it back out to that consumer with a 20% coupon or something similar. So just like retargeting on a website, you can actually start to retarget on using a direct mail channel. And it's so far had very, very good early success, and it seems to be gaining momentum every day.
2: That's really interesting. So you can use direct mail not only as a lead acquisition, as a conversion driver, but also as a retargeting tool. I'm interested in hearing a little bit from you about the targeting of direct mail. Tell me about the technologies that go behind figuring out who your direct mail should be sent to.
1: So really, a lot of the technology has been around for a very long time. It's just getting a lot more sophisticated. So a couple of things that we make sure we like to uncover, especially when we're doing direct mail for the first time for a client, is figure out what is our current customer base and from that current customer base, is there data we can use? A couple of examples are things like look-alike models and cloning models. We utilize those with very, very high accuracy and very good results. Then of course, once they have some mail out in market and they start to receive those responses, we like to then couple that cloning model with a response model, which just enhances that targeting even more. And my goal here is to not send everybody a piece of direct mail, and it's not a spray and pray method. At Gunnerson Direct, we're very cognizant of the fact that people don't want junk mail. And we always say to our clients, like, we're not in the business of junk mail. We don't ever want to think that way. What we want to make sure is that your product and your service is highly relevant to that target, and it's something that they're truly interested in. Does that mean that they're all going to respond? Absolutely not. But at least if we're getting close, we're not bugging them with stuff that they don't want. Hopefully, the stuff we're sending them is relevant. And a couple of other data sources that we like to tap into are co-op and transactional databases. We're able to actually take the SKU level of products that like folks have bought and then be able to build a model based on that and use that for acquisition and for prospecting. That's been super successful with a lot of our consumer products. Specialty and pre-screen lists, as I mentioned earlier, pre-screen is fantastic for any credit product that you might have. If you're looking to get folks in the door that you can actually qualify, pre-screen data is the only way to go. Specialty data, such as magazine lists and other vertical lists that might be relevant to those prospects can be super helpful.
2: When you say magazine lists... Is that, you know, I am a subscriber to Golf Digest and you can then figure out everybody that is interested in golf based on that subscription. Is that data available?
1: That's absolutely right. So it can get a little bit more expensive, especially as it becomes more refined. And people out there might be saying, well, magazines, who's doing magazines anymore? And I think that's actually a really good point. But there's still these subscriber lists out there. And they could be through a website subscription. It could be through other type of subscription services. But ideally, that's exactly what it is. I have an interest or an affinity towards something, and I'm able to then tap into that as a marketer and be able to send you relevant products and services based on that affinity.
2: So what I'm hearing is the same targeting criteria that people use for their digital display ads, mostly what I think of for Facebook advertising. You can look at household income, you can look at demographics, but then you can also use an algorithm to create a like audience and figure out who is most likely to convert using a direct mail piece.
1: That is exactly right. In fact, when we talk about cloning models, we often reference Facebook because it's the exact same process. It's simply uploading your customer list into something and then getting attributes from those customers and then be able to match those attributes with a compiled audience. And that's exactly what we do. One other really successful way to target folks is life event data and trigger data. So new mover data, new moms, people have been just married, people have been just divorced. These types of lists can be really, really great for all kinds of retailers and marketers because they're able to pinpoint certain life stages within those prospects and be able to send them relevant products and services.
2: So where does that data come from? How do you know when someone gets divorced or has a baby?
1: A lot of it is local and list providers are out there scraping that data, but new movers is an easy one. So whenever you move from one house to another, you put in a NCOA, which is a national change of address to the U.S. post office. And once that's done, that is now public record. Compilers go in, they grab that public record, and then that is why you receive a 25% discount coupon to Bed Bath & Beyond when you move to your next apartment or home.
2: So Bed Bath & Beyond looking at National Movers Database to use direct mail to re-engage you when you need a new bed cover.
1: That's correct.
2: Great. Okay. That wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Mike Gunderson for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish later this week, Mike is going to walk us through some best practices for testing direct mail campaigns and tell us how Gunderson Direct thinks about customer segmentation, their products, and the methodology of measurement for direct mail. If you can't wait until the next episode and would like to learn more about Gunderson Direct and direct mail, go to gundersondirect.com. If you'd like to read the transcript of this podcast, we've published it on our website, martechpod.com. If you're a subscriber to the Martech podcast, Thank you very much. We want you to feel like you're a member of our community. So if you ever have any questions, comments, or would like to be a guest on the show, feel free to reach out to me directly at podcast at benjshap.com. You can also reach us on Twitter or LinkedIn. Our tag is at benjshap, L-L-C, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P-L-L-C. Also, if you're feeling very generous, we'd love for you to leave us a review in the iTunes store. If you haven't subscribed yet, and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of this episode with Mike Gunderson, we've got some other great episodes lined up for the next few weeks. If you're interested in learning about topics like paid social, growth hacking, B2B marketing, go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your podcast feed. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy
0: thanks for listening to the martech podcast and i hear everything production Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.